we've tightened up like all the different areas, cost of goods sold and salaries and rent. I mean, all these other places, but there's this black hole around benefits. And it's usually the second or third largest line item of your business after, you know, cost of goods sold and staff, then it's benefits. And they're, you know, millions of dollars from my company. Again, 500 employees. It's not that huge. We're not Walmart, right? We're just this small company in Arizona. It's $3 million spend every year. And so if you're able to save 10% or 20% on that, that's a whole lot of money that you can reinvest into staff, invest into your company. Insurance carriers have enough money. Like they don't need it. Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole, or what we call spend culture. Hi, everyone. This is Danny, and welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. We have another great guest here for you today during this whole COVID-19 situation. We have Steve Watson, who is the CFO of Child and Family Support Services, a Phoenix-based nonprofit that helps individuals, couples, and families improve relationships, emotional health, and positive behavior through individually designed, positive-based, community-centered support services. Steve Watson is also a licensed CHRO and also the founder and CEO of Trendbreakers, a community of finance, human resources, and benefit advisor professionals that are on a mission to break the trend of rising employee healthcare costs. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. So it's quite interesting that you are both a CHRO and a CFO. Can you explain a little bit more on the duality of those roles and how you think a human resources background bleeds into your role as a CFO? Yeah, most people don't wear those same hats. About a year into my tenure here at CFSS, the the HR director left the company. And so they looked at me and they said, you know, finance HR, it's about the same thing. We'll let you have it. And I was like, I don't know in what world (laughs) that's the same thing, but it was more on an interim basis. But I'm somebody that if if you give me something, I'm going to learn more about it. And so I dove into it. I started attending all the HR conferences I could. I ended up getting licensed and 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 really coming to know that those two areas are a lot more similar than they are separate. We just we're both kind of admin departments inside of a company. We're both trying to help the company succeed. We just usually attack problems from different angles. You know, HR will attack it from a, a culture, emotional relationship basis, where finance will attack it through, through numbers and strategy and like spreadsheets. Totally. And with the two perspective approaches, do you find that sometimes based on who you're talking to, you kind of have to switch your hats around or how do you navigate the two rules? Yes, all the time. And and my employees know that. And so sometimes they'll walk up to me and say, Steve, I need your HR hat or I need your finance hat or, <laughs> or different things. And I do feel like there's a conflict going on and I, I have to balance those two conflicts in my head. But every business has to balance those things as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. And do you think that it's a little bit more difficult now to especially uh, working in health and also with COVID-19 with your employees kind of working remote and you yourself is too? Yeah, these are strange and really hard times. I know that a lot of times people in the media and companies, a lot of companies are are not working as much. They're working at home. But for HR and finance, even if we're home, we're putting in double the amount of time because we're trying to keep our day jobs up and going as much as we can. But we're also trying to figure out all these new laws and all these different things and how to handle our employees. And so it's a really trying time in, in HR right now. So I'm wondering, um, with in regards to your organization, what are some of the changes that you had to make due to COVID-19, whether it be from the work culture base or whether from a process base? We are a community-based counseling clinic. And so we're always out in the 
in people's homes all the time. And so with the precautions right now, we had to stop that and we had to transition really quickly to instead of being face-to-face to being remote and doing things like Zoom and Google Hangouts and stuff. And we had to do that within about a weekend. So that was some crazy technology trying to get those transitioned over. It was also training our employees, but also training families and getting them technology if they didn't have it, getting it set up. Um, you know, usually something like this would take multi-months, even years to try and transition this. And we were forced to do it in a weekend or a week to do it. Yeah, that's actually like quite a short time period. I'm actually very impressed that you all pulled it off. Yeah, but you have to, right? So mm-hmm. if, if you don't do it that way, then there's no business, there's no jobs, there's no help for the families that, that we work with. And I've been very impressed with all of our employees, with this industry of everybody trying to do as much as they can. You know, government regulations had to be loosened so we could do all of this stuff and employees had to figure out technology. And what I've liked about this, if you can say the word like nowadays, but <laughs> it's we almost get a little bit of a pass on technology and hiccups and stuff. You know, we've had this thing, if we're working remote, we try and make it as professional as we can within our own offices and and look like we're in the offices and make sure that our background and the sound is all perfect. But it's not. I mean, the reality is that we all have kids running around and the Wi-Fi is not as good and our technology is not as good at home. But we, we give a little bit of a pass to people now. And I think it mm-hmm. helps with that transition. Totally. And I can imagine, especially working with families too, in a nonprofit situation, it almost makes it seem a little more human. So now you can see the other side of these healthcare support professionals. Yeah, we're, we're actually able to set up some groups that we haven't been able to be a part of, and we're able to connect with them at times that we haven't been able to be a part of. So if it's super late at night or or groups or checking with people at different, different times, we're excited to see some of that stay in place long term. So going back to your finance hat a little bit, I love the terminology, the hats. Yeah. How are some of the finances with the organization being impacted due to COVID-19? Had an immediate drop in revenue, you know, just from, I mean, even as much as we can do things through technology, we can't do 100% of it. And so we had a big drop. And so trying to stabilize cash flow, trying to stabilize revenue. And then once you have it stabilized, seeing that impact and forecasting it out for the next we don't know how many months. Is this a month? Is this two months, three months? And then trying to put together contingency plans on what that, that looks like. It's been taking up all my time on the finance side. And then trying to process these government programs. And we're just over 500 employees. And for these government programs, that 500 number means a lot. So I'm just trying to figure that out. Yeah, definitely. That's quite the size um, of organization. And just to remind me again, what percentage of the organization is currently working remote versus the ones that still need to kind of go into the office? It's hard to say because we are an essential business to be able to be out there and helping people that may be on suicide watches and different things. And so we try and do as much of our work work remote as we can, but we are going out into the community and going to people's homes when they need us to be there with them. And so it's a, it's a mix. And so we don't force all of our employees just to work from home or all of our employees to be on the field, but they can kind of manage it how they see fit. And that's like ultimate respect to you guys and what you do too, especially in these times, there's a lot of people being mentally affected by the situation. So I think we all are, very, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's very traumatic and trauma is a real thing. And so I think the longer this stays in place, the more trauma we're all going to experience. And this will be a lifelong kind of thing that we'll all remember. Absolutely. It's um, how do we um, get past the situation? How do we bond together as a community is what's most important. Yep. So in light of the economic downturn that's also coming along with COVID, 
how have you changed your approval levels and workflow due to the situation? We used to do a lot through through checks and petty cash. And like I said, we have a lot of our employees out, out in the field. And so I've had to take the last few weeks and really try and brainstorm ways to be able to get the resources out to employees without having them to come into the office or have these social interactions. Like we're trying to limit as much as, as we can. And so those processes have changed a lot. And so trying to figure out how to do ACH payments directly into their accounts instead of petty cash transactions and how to track it and how to make sure we get the receipts and the change back and implementing things like like Divi or credit card transactions that they can use and, and really trying to do it as quickly as, as we can to get those resources out to them. Are there any manual processes that you've done in person that, that now you have to look for tools to kind of help you with? That would be one right there. So the state will give some funds to families to help them in emergencies. We would usually give that money to the employees and employees would go get whatever they need and bring us the change. We're getting them cards that they can use, but we don't want to have just open-ended credit cards. And so how do you get a prepaid like card to them without being able to lose those funds and be able to track it? And so we've been working on that right now. Mm-hmm. And what challenges have you been faced with right now in terms of trying to find like a solution, but also maybe cutting the budget short and making sure you're not spending too much money on that? It's funny, like the budget, we haven't been as worried about the spending of our individual employees because all of our work's been limited so much. And so where they used to be out in the community and doing activities and doing stuff with them, that's been limited just online. And so that, that spending mm-hmm. just fell naturally. We've more been trying to say in the spending that they need to do, how do we get it out to them? Mm-hmm. And normally, how does the approvals go through? Is it through emails or do they do a face-to-face interaction to make sure that something's been approved? It's usually been through email and it still is through emails. So we're trying to just kind of speed it up. Yeah, that must be challenging with uh, 500 yep. <laughs> people trying to go back and forth. Yeah, it's usually between them and their supervisors. And then once it's approved, they'll send it to finance and then but trying to manage that and their expense reimbursements and stuff. And it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. Definitely. So let's go back to the finance and operations side a little bit. Are there any processes that you had to change to allow for your finance department to work remotely? So you mentioned kind of a little bit with, for example, the cutting checks part and then also the expenses part. Are there any other things that normally you would be able to deal with easily, but now you're finding difficulties? It's really been the Wi-Fi speed has been been an issue. (laughs) Like really, like some of my employees just don't feel like they're as productive. A lot of them have dual monitors at the office. They don't have them at home. Uh, scanners, you know, we'll have like the big industrial scanners at the office that they don't have in their homes has been an issue. And so I've let them kind of come into the office a little bit when they need to like kind of scan and knock the project out and try and because hardly anybody's in the office, but it's been different. You know, we got to the extreme of saying like, do we need to pull some of these big printers and just take them home with one of us? And then how do you, how do you sign the checks? You know, because the one that's processing, because you have these internal controls set up where the person that creates a check is different than the person approving the check. Mm-hmm. But if they're all in one play, I don't know. So it's just been interesting. Like so far, we've been able to just manage it by having one staff go into the office each day. And so I go in on Mondays and other staff goes in Tuesday and Wednesday and stuff. Oh, wow. The other issue is is just mail. I mean, a lot of our bills still come through mail. And so who's going to go get the mail and look through it and then scan it to, be, to the people that need to, to work on it? Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Like that's usually something that you wouldn't be able to predict. So you have to figure out a solution on the spot for. Yeah, so we're trying to transition some of our bills to online bill pay. But again, that takes time and you have to go through that process. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Are you currently using like a cloud-based ERP or accounting system so that it's easier for you to at least manage that process online? So we've been using QuickBooks, but we haven't been using QuickBooks online. And that's been a, a struggle because it's the enterprise version of QuickBooks and we have to use a VPN to get in there. And if you have multiple people trying to sign in there, it can get issue, have, have issues with it. Yeah, that must be hard, especially now when you have multiple eyes looking at it. Right. So what are your plans for the accounting software side? Are you planning on making that a cloud-based solution, like moving towards online version, or are you kind of dealing with it right now? Just dealing with it right now. I mean, that's such a big transition that if we can just get through this, then we'll we'll do it. That, the issue that we've had is we've been with QuickBooks for a long time, and we're big enough in there that the online version doesn't work. Like we need the enterprise solution, but the online doesn't have the functionality that we need. So we'd have to look at moving to some other software, and that's just a, a bigger project than any of us can handle right now. Yeah, definitely. This is really interesting because um, I've talked to a few CFOs that have worked in kind of similar industry as you. So like the healthcare industry, where sometimes it's a little bit more traditional. Now that everyone's kind of getting used to working remotely and also making sure that you're thinking about some of the tools that will help you with remote work in general, do you think that some of the employees will move towards that kind of a work culture after COVID-19 is done? Or do you think this is more of a one-off situation? I think it depends on how long it takes for us to go back to normal. And so if this takes six months or four months or something, the longer this goes, the more permanent these changes are going to be because we're going to figure it all out. We're going to start making solutions or changes with people's home offices and Wi-Fi and like everything to get it all up and productive. And once it's all productive, you've kind of gone through that transition. I do know that there's some employees that just don't like working from home. I've had some of my staff just feel like they're just more productive when they get in the office. They just feel like they want that separation. And so they've struggled with it and other, other people like it. For the work that we actually do, a lot of it will depend on the government regulations. And so they've limited us on how much we could actually do via Zoom and other things because of privacy reasons and stuff. And and they just have a very short term, like we'll lift these bands, these restrictions for a short amount of time. But again, as, as companies figure this out and as families like it and stuff, there might be more pressure for them to leave these things in place. But we'll have to see. Yeah, that's tough, especially um, with there was like a whole Zoom scandal or something, right? That recently happened. Yeah, it happened to my cousin just recently. She was oh, wow. just dealing with some kids with school and their, their teacher and stuff. And then it got hacked in there and they were putting up all this crazy stuff on there. And Oh, my God. Yeah, I know, right? It's just dumb. I, mean, yeah. people need, I think Zoom will figure that out and they'll, they'll lock things down. And But it's sad that people are doing that right now. It's crazy because you would never think that also the situation would happen where people will take advantage of it. Right. Because it's such a great tool now that people are all working from home, whether it be out of choice or not out of choice. Yep. So I'm curious also, Steve, um, in regards to just collaboration with the company and the organization, how are you guys currently doing your communication and I guess project management? Most of the executive team, again, we, we kind of rotate in on the on the same day. So we're all there and we can work on kind of the bigger projects. And when this first was going down, we were just in the office and we would just connect and talk talk through it. Personally, we weren't using Zoom and technology for that, but it's starting to transition more of we're getting used to doing it. And so we'll have Zoom meetings set up for that. As far as project management, it's all just being done on the fly as quickly as we can, right? Because we don't have time to like, man, it's like, I got to get this done in the next two days. So let's just figure it out and roll up our sleeves and be okay with the hiccup that are going to happen. So one of my mantras has been is not let perfection get in the way of progress. Like we just got to move. So we just know it's not going to be perfect. That's such a good learning, especially in times like this. Yeah. You don't really have the time to kind of look back and see. <laughs> right. 
yeah. So in regards to kind of, um, you know, working remotely and the team, some of the team not being used to, you know, working at home and still wanting to go into the office and giving them the, the option, do you think that you will be able to migrate to a fully remote model if the situation becomes a little worse? We still have some more steps to do, but yeah, we'll be able to transition to it. So, and we're going to have to, right, just to keep things going. The biggest thing, and that's what we're trying to transition for my team has been like the checks, like how do we get away from any type of checks? And we're close to getting there. What are some of the major learnings that you've developed in this period? And if you have any best practices for CFOs that are also going through a similar thing, what would you tell them? I've used a, a solution called Slack. I know that a lot of people have used it, but if you haven't heard of Slack, I, I've really enjoyed it as far as communication with my team. I had used it personally, but my team had never used it. And it's kind of a mix between texting and email. So it's kind of a hybrid between the two of them. But it's been really good for us to keep up the communication between all of us and then to set up more like check-in calls just to be able to see face-to-face and talk to each other. That's been been really helpful. I personally feel like for the last two weeks, I've spent all of my time just helping my team be able to do their jobs and not so much for me to do my job. It's just trying to, to work through these barriers and these processes and everything to make sure that they're, they're working has been a big project. And do you think that the work culture is also being affected since you're not really seeing each other in person a lot of the times? Like, How do you keep the teams kind of motivated and making sure that they're doing good work? When we don't have the body language and see how people are reacting, I can see that people, you know, just, you'll send a message and it'll come across as more stern and then they'll, they'll react to it stronger. It's like, no, I really was just telling you just, you know, I was just giving you a factual thing, but it's, yeah. you can't convey that emotion through it. And that's where these Zoom calls are really helpful when you can see people's faces and you can kind of build back that come up, that friendship back up again, I think are helpful. I've seen um, some other CFOs mention that when using Slack, they sometimes would make a channel where um, all it is is just small talk. Because a lot of times, you know, when you walk in the office, you can say hi to like this person, this person, ask them what's going on. But they were like, oh, we wanted to recreate that atmosphere online. So they created like a water cooler channel where people can just talk about anything. And I thought that was pretty cool. I've had it with other people and I've heard pros and cons. I've heard pros like it's fun to like just hear and just kind of get away from it. And other people like sometimes it blows up too much and it just keeps coming. And you're just like, I need some, I need to do some work <laughs> here. Like, but that's normal yeah. life at the office, right? You know, sometimes they're just chatting away too much and it's like, I oh, look, I need to go do some work. <laughs> yeah. Put a do not disturb sign right. next to your desk for something, right? <laughs> well, I actually wanted to also ask a little bit more about trend breakers. So I know you're the founder and CEO of this community. Can you tell us a little bit about how you founded this community and what's the mission of the community? So it really is the my hybrid hats, you know, my hats coming together. And the biggest area where those come together is employee benefits. So there's a finance component of buying those benefits, but then there's an HR component of trying to recruit and retain employees. And it really started 10 years ago when I got a 30% rate increase. And that was hundreds of thousands of dollars that I had to kind of come up with from the company. And then it was hundreds of dollars for each family each month. And it really ticked me off enough to really dive into it. I was, you know, I know how to negotiate rent, salaries, paper, like everything in my office. But for some reason, employee benefits, there's no class in that on my MBA or my, in my CPA course. It was just all done. We just all have to learn from the brokers that we're using. And so I went on this big journey. I learned a lot about how to negotiate benefits, ended up saving about a half a million dollars a year for my, my benefits. And then I just started thinking about like, there's 
wanting to help other people because it's almost like sitting on an airplane and you saved a whole bunch of money and the person next to you didn't save money. If you don't right. tell them about it, you're almost complicit with it. Right. And so I always, I felt like the system's so messed up that if I didn't get out and help other employers do it, that I was complicit with it. So I set up these communities that started out pretty small and it's rapidly growing to about 300 employers around the country where we come together, we share ideas, we share ways to get the best solutions for our employees and how do we customize it to our, our own industry and our own you know, own size of company. And I love it. I mean, I've been learning a, a lot from other employers. I've been also been able to help a lot of employers and that, that's what Trendbreakers is. So there's a Facebook group, there's a LinkedIn group, there's a website that I have. I, I do podcasts, I do events. I'm speaking at the National HR Conference. If they have it, we'll see if they have it this summer, but <laughs> I was asked to speak there. That's awesome. And so I'm bringing them together. So that's Trendbreakers. And then I, I do, when people want to know individually about their company, then I can do consulting with them as well. So I'll set up like one-on-one agreements and consult with them. And I don't sell insurance. I'm not a broker selling it, but it's just having somebody sit on your side of the table to walk through this. Just like if you were going to go buy a car and you don't really know that much about it, you'll take a friend with you. So that's who I am. That's what Trendbreakers is. And I really love that because um, this is not something that a lot of people really think about. Obviously with the system, um, there's always some gaps where it could be better but i feel like people don't people kind of lack the knowledge so being able to have like a resource and we just don't know what we don't know yeah exactly knowing that what you're missing out on that's really the most important thing and i feel like it's almost one of the last frontiers that companies have to really tighten up their spending so we've tightened up like all the different areas cost of goods sold and salaries and rent i mean all these other places but again there's this black hole around benefits and it's usually the second or third largest line item of your business after, you know, cost of goods sold and staff, then it's benefits. And they're, you know, millions of dollars from my company, again, 500 employees. It's not that huge. We're not Walmart, right? We're just this small company in Arizona. It's $3 million spend every year. And so if you're able to wow. save 10% or 20% on that, that's a whole lot of money that you can reinvest into staff, invest into your company. Definitely. Insurance carriers have enough money. Like they don't need it. Yeah, you're fighting the establishment together yes. with the community. And I love it. I really love like raising up the banner and, and working together. Yeah, you need that, especially yeah. in times like this too, where, you know, cash is tight. Yep. So this kind of relates back to um, the name of the podcast, Spend Culture Stories. We believe that every company has a distinct culture and every company also has a spend culture, which is kind of like the marriage of how you spend within the company, but also how your employees react to the certain situations when it comes to spending. How would you kind of describe your organization's spend culture, if you don't mind giving us some insights? We're very big on trying to help families and trying to do the best we can for families. And so I'd say our spending is... Very, very flexible if it's going to help a family. And it can get very strict if it's not related to a, a family. Mm -hmm. And how would you go about deciding on whether this is something that is worth it or something that's not? So it usually comes down to like a clinical team coming together and deciding whether or not it's it's worth it. And again, we have a, such a variety of spending. So because we work in behavioral health and counseling and therapy, just a very small example would be let's say somebody's really struggling, they're on suicide watches, they don't have any community around them, different things. Like you can spend thousands of hours like doing counseling and therapy, but if you can find something that that person connects with, let's say that they, they really love ballet. And so you help them get signed up for a ballet course or you get them ballet shoes. It kind of a lot, sometimes it snaps them into like this new identity that they're not the victim anymore. Now they're that ballerina. And so spending can be different. So as a CFO, you come through and you're like, ballet shoes, really? Like, 
how does that tie into it? And that's why I say it's more of a clinical thing. And so if the clinical team comes together and says, this is something that's really going to help this person instead of spending the thousand hours of counseling, let's help them get ballet shoes. We trust those clinical teams to give us that approval. And that's really beautiful with every single person. They're different, right? Like what, what would help them? Yeah, it's so much variety. I mean, it could be art supplies. It could be video games. It could be gardening. I mean, everybody's different. But that's the beauty in it. And it's just trying to find what is it that they want to explore and what is it they want to learn and helping them explore it. Because then they're they're interacting with people that are not paid to be there. Like they're, you know, mm-hmm. they're part of that Boy Scout troop and going camping or something, or they're part of that volunteer group or whatever, that that community. And it's not just the counselor that's there with them. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, one small thing like ballet shoes, it might change the trajectory of their life forever. Yep. So that's something that's really powerful. It is. Housing is another one. I mean, housing is a really big one where if you just think about how much mental stress you would have if you don't have housing and how much, you know, people spend money on counseling and therapy and think that's fine. But if you just help them find housing, it just calms everything else down. Well, I think like housing should basically be a human right. You know, there's so many people out there where they have so much potential and they just don't have a place to live. And I don't think that's right. Yep. So this is um, kind of my last question for you, Steve, and we like to keep it a little bit fun for the last one. So with every person that joins our organization and in a test of vulnerability, we like to ask them, what was their most embarrassing moment? So sorry to put you on the spot here, but if you don't mind sharing one of your most embarrassing moments with the audience. You put me down the spot. <laughs> it's, well, that's not a funny one, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> Honestly, one of the embarrassing ones and kind of the ones I feel more vulnerable about is when I was, I worked in Brazil for a long time and I had one of my mm-hmm. coworkers ended up um, stealing money from the company. And it was embarrassing because I was the one that hired them. I'm the one that put the trust, the, the trust into this person, brought them all, all together and then ended up stealing a whole bunch of money from the company. And so there's this ownership side of that of saying, Again, I wasn't one person doing it. He broke all the internal controls and stuff that we had in place. But it's really embarrassing to have to go back to leadership and stuff and say, look, you know, I own up to it. And mm-hmm. again, it's not really funny, but it's just I'm trying to think of like. Yeah, but sometimes like with these situations, it really shows what values you have because mm-hmm. you could have hid it from the company and try not to take responsibility. But well, and try and blame other people on it. And it's like, no, sometimes you just got to own up to it. And yeah. And maybe there were circumstances too where um, there was a reason why he did it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk. On right. him, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I know. Cool. Steve, thank you so much again for sharing your expertise with the audience. And I'm sure that people will find this really insightful, especially a lot of the other CFOs that are dealing with COVID-19 and trying to move towards remote, but having some challenges. Yeah. I appreciate being able to talk with you. Awesome. And I'll be making sure to include a lot of the links in the comments below within our show notes. So if you wanted to check out Trend Breakers, we'll put a link there, as well as Steve's LinkedIn if you wanted to connect with him. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in on another episode of Spend Culture Stories. If you like this series, please support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe so you can get notified of the newest episodes. We try to post every episode every Wednesday. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a software solution that is reinventing the way organizations spend. Procurify allows an accessible and convenient way to request for purchases, get approval from your manager, while allowing your finance team to get the visibility and control you need on every purchase. 
Learn more about Procurify at www.procurify.com.